Hey, what's good, people? This is episode 107. That guy over there, Tomas Goldsmith. The episode starts right now. What's up, people? This is Jason DeBeas. This is the Option Podcast. This is episode 107. My people from the Midwest have asked me and asked me and asked me. And me, I've got to give the people, give the people what they want. That man is Tomas Goldsmith. What's up, man? Hey, man. That's another beautiful day out in Milwaukee for me. Dude, got a Milwaukee question for you. All right, um, Greek Freak, Middleton, these guys, the Bucks win the NBA championship. How yeah. ruckus, how much of a rucka was, 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 was Milwaukee? Oh man, it was, uh, it was wild. Uh, I was mostly staying home, um, not trying to risk you know, catching COVID too much, but there were like 30,000 plus people downtown every game, home or away. Uh, even more for the home games, right? Because you got the stadium, and then you have the Deer District outside. So it was. Uh, it got pretty rowdy. Um, I did go to a bar for Game Five, and that was quite a. It was quite a game. So it was, meant a lot to a lot of people. It was a lot of fun to be here. Well, I, as a native New Yorker, can never appreciate that. Okay, because and because the team that I actually turned in my card that will ne- that that will probably never happen with is the New York Knicks. All right. I'm 51 years old, so they have won two titles in my lifetime. But Jesus Christ, I was wet behind the ear. Breath smelled like Similac. <laughs> okay, so long time ago. Tomas, let's talk shop, man. Let's talk a little volleyball. We're going to get into um, volley life in a minute. But I want to talk a, bit, a little bit about your playing career. Um, starting with college, your first year was at Rutgers, right? Played a libero? Yeah, that's correct. Um, I was yeah. actually recruited as an outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, the libero who was there with the team and then the libero who was supposed to come as a recruit uh, switched schools kind of last second. So uh, there was a void on the team and that was my way on the court. So I, I took it. Hey, why not? Um, who was your coach at that time? That was Carl Prince. Oh, Carl. Yeah. I know Carl really well. I know Carl when, when, when we were both hacks. He was at Mount St. Vincent. Um, like he was like, we were both X's and O's guys, but we didn't, at that time, we didn't know how to coach volleyball. I was like 99, 2000, 2001. So from that uh, to NYU to, sorry, go ahead. No, I thought, uh, Carl did a good job recruiting people. He saw talent in lots of places and I thought he did a good job managing the personnel on the team. And uh, he hired some good assistants who could help him with the, all the volleyball technique stuff. So I, I learned a lot when I was there. Yeah, that helps, man. He and now he's at Fairleigh Dickinson, so good for him. And as far as I know, he's that's um, I think he's the first black coach to coach a Division One men's NCAA team. You got Rutgers. Could be. I'm. I'm not sure. It was D1 back. back when yeah. I was yep. Yep. I do remember. 
I go back further than that, but I guess the reason why I brought Rutgers up, you guys had like a really, I was just looking at like the, um, like I, I like to look at patterns, winning streaks, losing streaks, this and that. You guys lost like a whole bunch of games in the beginning. Then all of a sudden, like all of these teams, you were losing 3-0, you were beating 3-0 or beating 3-1. You had a big, a nice upset over Penn State. I, I think that was 3-1. Um, what changed in the middle of your season that, that, Something uh, was there. Did someone come back from injury? Did you guys kind of like crack the code? Tell me, tell me a little. I mean, it's a long time yeah. ago, but tell me, tell me about that. We had um, like an excellent pair of seniors on the team, and uh, one of our starting outsides just kept having some knee issues, it seemed, throughout the season, making it hard for him to perform at his normal great level. Um, and then we had a couple of young outside sophomores, a Polish guy and a Puerto Rican guy. And, um, you know, they, they kind of stepped in and filled the void. And so all of a sudden we had a really strong pair of outsides, uh, healthy and, uh, you know, quality setter, good middles, tough serving team. And so it just started to click for us. Yeah, we went on like, I think we were one and nine to start the season and then went like 12 and two after that or something, you know, 12 and three. Yeah, that was uh, that was nice ridiculous. Run. Yeah, man. Last time I saw a run like that, I remember USC started like one and seven, and they fought like hell and like got back to fourteen and fourteen. And yeah. I guess that that earned them the right to to play to get their head chopped off by Long Beach State. I think there was still MPSF back then, so that got yeah, the eighth spot. Uh, yeah, <laughs> George Mason at home. We'd beaten them mm-hmm. twice earlier in the year. Yeah. Well, another well-coached team. You know, competitive, yeah. competitive team. I give, I give them their props. I think Princeton is a very well coached team. Sam Schweitz, Sam Schweitzky, who's now the head coach there. I was, um, he's at Hunter High School. I was a head coach there for five years. So there's, there's always this. It seems like the further east you go, the more the, the more small the world is. My, my guess is, there's definitely at least probably two degree, two degrees of separation between you and me as a player or coach. I wouldn't doubt that in my mind. You know, um, like you play for Pineapple, right? Like when you're, I probably know some yeah. guys on that team. Um, I don't know who Elnis Palomino played for, um, but he was he's he's a longtime friend of mine from Dominican Republic, and he won nationals yeah. in 2008. I think. Did you play with him? Uh, no, I've played against him several times. Mm-hmm. He's been playing with LBC yeah. on the indoor side for a while. Nice. Played against him in uh, some money ball matches as well. Yeah, gotta get. Gotta make sure make sure those bills don't have Washington's face, man. Give me some Ben Franklin's for for this indoor action, my man. So moving up, let's let's stay with college a little bit. Um, next three years, University of Wisconsin Milwaukee, um, yeah, two, two two time conference player of the year. Did you did you stay at the position of libero, or did you get back to outside? Uh, no, no, I went back to outside. Mm-hmm. Um, team needed a hitter, and I wanted to be a hitter, so. Good for you. Uh, good match. That's who you are, man. I mean, look, we're going to get into the Olympics in a minute because I know between the both of us, we probably, if we allow ourselves, we probably OD'd on it. Um, we're, <laughs> we're volleyball heads like that. That's my guess, and I think I'm right. Um, how important was um, serve-receive as an outside hitter? Like some, some roles, OH1, OH2, right? Um, how important for your success at University of, of Milwaukee was one person being the more explosive guy and the other outside hitter being the better ball control guy? Um, you know, honestly, I think 
it wasn't the biggest deal to have um, a separation between the two players. Um, we kind of experimented early on with a handful of different lineups, and primarily our, you know, from my experience of playing libero, I had some of the best service even in the gym, but also, you know, I had plenty of experience as a hitter, and um, you know, so I was, I was the guy who was taking care of the ball on either side, right? Right. And we're looking for people to fill rostered gaps. I mean, when you're playing college club, uh, especially in Wisconsin and in the Midwest, I mean, there aren't many uh, D1 or even D3 programs in the Midwest for boys volleyball, right? Especially in Wisconsin, there are no D1 programs. No. So there are a ton of guys that are just under-recruited but can play at a really high level. Um, generally, maybe just a little undersized compared to like a D1 level, but there are lots of quality outside hitters that are, you know, at the six foot, six one range. And uh, my last year at Milwaukee, we actually picked up a guy from Oshkosh who transferred to finish his degree. Oshkosh is a very well established college club program. They even recruit players and they practice, you know, five times a week, try to run it more like a college program. And this guy was a very good player, and he's, he brought the ball control that we needed, but also upped our offensive capabilities. So I think, you know, would I rather have one guy who can be explosive and one guy who can pass? I, I think we had two complete pins uh, that could do both when I graduated. Yeah, I, I, look, I mean, we can't leap to the false dichotomy of you're either an explosive guy or you're the passer guy. That I, I, I mean... Right, like if you look at every gold medal winning team, you look at Riley Salmon, you look at Reed Pretty, right? Reed Pretty was a more explosive guy. Riley Riley Salmon can put away a ball if you need to, and in fact, I don't even think they beat Serbia Montenegro without his hitting to to finish. You know, to get to even get to the semifinals, I didn't even sniff the semifinals against a team that's stylistically a bad matchup to begin with. So, um, you look at Jiba and Dante, right? Jiba, can he be explosive? Yeah, but but sometimes it's about sometimes it's about role playing. If you need him to hit one, he's gonna hit one. But that was more Dante's role. Um, I guess where I'm going with this is every championship team I've I've witnessed, um, the the outside hitters were were accepting of kind of the, kind of more of a role, not a complete role. I mean, I think you know what I'm getting at too. And and I was just trying to figure out you guys because you guys have enjoyed some success. And I wanted to. And, and I guess my question was that's 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 where that question came from. Yeah, I think uh, I totally buy into the the role playing aspect of teams. Um, you know, I, I was reading, I can't remember the name of this book is, uh, I think it was a Bill Simmons book on basketball, 700 page kind of treat, treatise on it. And he kind of dissects some of the winning teams and what made them work. Mm -hmm. And occasionally it's just sheer star power, but more importantly, it's from the coach down to the bottom bench player is everybody buys into their job. And, you know, everybody trusts in the role and they buy into the same system. And when you create roles that are simple and you give players room to be confident and aggressive in those roles, uh, then I think you can have team success. And uh, that was something I was actually player coach for three years when I was at Milwaukee. And that was something I tried to instill right from the beginning was, you know, this is a team effort. We need everybody to perform their jobs. Um, jobs are open for discussion and competition, but ultimately, like, 
you're hardly ever going to be on a team where you get to do every single thing that you can, right? You got to limit your role to, you know, maybe give up some responsibility to somebody else, and then you guys can achieve team success. And yeah, I think my primary role on that team was to score points. And so that was, you know, I got to get three to four kills a game, get an ace, you know, get a block and make sure I don't give up points with making errors uh, and serve receive or attacking. <laughs> and let me tell you something, no outside hitter is going to reluctantly accept that role. <laughs> it's like, it is the, you're the like, general, I'll, I'll yeah. do it. <laughs> I remember when I was in theater school, um, there were two sections of second year acting. And the professor, he said, I'm looking for volunteers. We need more guys in the other section. And he said, we have 10 girls and only two guys. And my friend sitting next to me, Justin, goes, I'll do it. <laughs> it's just like, like taking one for the team. <laughs> um, yeah, so like you said, one of my favorite lines actually from Paul Sunderland, like the 1988 team was Bob Stavert got best passer in the tournament because they never served Karch because Karch was better. So that was, you know, sometimes you, you, you have this role coming in and sometimes the other team tries to pick their poison and, and they dictate that role, you know? So, right. and nobody used, nobody, I think the guy like made an, she, he should teach the art of using the block. I've never seen so many hits just just fly in, into the stands behind someone's head off, you know, um, hit blocked but out of bounds on on their side. Nothing to be done about it. That dude, that dude was just awesome, Pepperdine dude. Um, oh, I'm I'm going way back old school, Bob yeah. Stavertly, you know. Oh, you. I mean, I don't know if you played the same time his son Matthew did. Matthew played at Harvard. Um, but that, I think that his senior year was 2016. No, that was that was after your time. Um, and Joseph Stavertly played at Stanford. Um, so he's got two smart kids, I guess. So let's talk um, Olympics. Did you follow the men? Uh, yeah, I watched men, women, beach, indoor, all of it. Just oh man, it was well. First of all, speaking on a positive note, I think I, uh, I speak for both of us that we were. Uh, um, eternally happy for the women's team for me uh, yeah i'm gonna give you the floor in a minute on the women's team but for me the um because i go back a long way i watched them win the silver in 84 bronze in 92 and then the last three olympic silver silver bronze i felt like and i said this on a previous podcast but it bears repeating that i felt like them winning the gold won it for like all of those girls teams uh, women's teams who were just as deserving because at that level sometimes you know you're just playing your best volleyball at the right time and and maybe the better team won or maybe and at the end of the day maybe the better team did but you, you you see how close the gap is and like how some of these games are decided so your thoughts on how the women's team um um yeah, maybe maybe we'll talk about Karch's post-game speech too or, yeah. or interview I mean I thought the women kind of played their way into the tournament they didn't always have like the prettiest execution level, especially in the middle. And um, I thought Jordan Larson also offensively it took a while for her to find her rhythm. But despite that, I mean, they were able to grind out wins. Um, they kept putting one foot in front of the other. I thought they played in the moment. Um, you know, that's a lot of teams. They don't always play the prettiest, but the winners find ways to, to make it happen. And, and uh, by the time they got to like semis and finals, I mean, they looked like they were clearly the best team. They were executing well in all, in all roles. Defensively, they were making tons of stops with the block. 
uh, hitting very effectively, serving aggressive, and I thought they uh, they really put it together well, and they made everybody look, else look second class. Yeah, how about Karch's post match interview? Uh, the guy who's no, who's classic and, uh, introvert. Mm-hmm. I didn't actually watch the interview. He just, got uh, so choked up. He was in tears, and he just said they they did it. You know, kept saying they did it, and his voice was cracking. And it, and for people who follow Karch's, you know, as long as anyone has it, just or just watch videos of the past. He's not. He he only really came out of his shell some most time, most times in the worst way, right? He doesn't like a call. He'll tear. I've seen him tear down like a net system in the finals, which is not what the people remember. You know, the the quiet dude that, that was coming up. But but when he said they did it instead of we did it, or you know, some coaches are like, you know we did it or I did it or whatever it, it was a testament to how much he that how bad he wanted it for them you know and and in so many ways like I said people watching I felt like we all won you know I mean the the the, the stick on that woman's team was they were all planet they were all world they, they were to be respected but the, the one thing said the most was silver medalist second place runner-up Every time it was their t- turn to reach up and gra- grab that brass ring, it's, it just slipped through their fingers, you know. And then, and I, I was say, I was for a long time I was saying the same thing about Kleinman too. You know, Stanford made the finals twice, lost to Penn State twice. Once she was up two to zero. So, um, trans- transcending our conversation to um, women's beach volleyball, great moment for her, man. She got one on a biggest stage and passed the test with something that brings new meaning to the term flying colors, right? If you follow women's volleyball, beach, beach, we know that wasn't a stylistic, the best stylistic matchup for them. You're talking about in the finals? The Australia, the, the Aussies, yeah. yeah. I mean, the Aussies beat them uh, two out of the last three times. Right. I think, uh, I mean, the Australian team is part of that new wave of beach where they're being very active on offense, constant on two threats. You're seeing defenders, the... Uh, Take way more risks on defense, you know, throwing fakes, running plays. So I think, uh, yeah, April and Alex uh, seem to play a much more traditional up and down kind of game, and relying on their prowess as hitters uh, to take care of it. But I thought, I mean, right off the bat, I, I told uh, my wife when we started watching, I said, if April gets two aces in this first game, they're going to win the match, and she had like five or six. You know, caught fire. Uh, you can't run a fancy offense if you can't receive the serve, right? So. Right off the bat, April put him on the back foot, and that allows Alex to just dominate the net. So, you know, yeah. old school is not necessarily bad if you can execute at a high level, right? Volleyball is a pretty simple game. Yeah. Well, there was always a question of who the best women's team in the world was because pretty much at, since before COVID, it was 1 and 1A, one right? It was the Canadians and um, and Brazil. Like if Rebecca had a good breakfast, stuffed us up with eggs and bacon or whatever, she could win 1-2. Rebecca and um, – um, Barbara. No, 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 no. Um, Patricia. Anna Patricia. But then after COVID, it's like Duda wins one, right? Um, the, the Aussies win one. Uh, team Slays goes straight Jakari's mode from like Game of Thrones and wins two four stars. And then the Brazilians finish at the end. And it felt more open. But me, I, st- I was still America first. And, I'm, and definitely let you talk. To, to me, the best player individually was April Ross. So, what were you going to say? Yeah, I mean, I, I personally never had any doubt, any doubt in them. I felt, I didn't think it was very wide open. I thought, uh, you know, April and Alex were going to take care of it. 
And I, I was kind of surprised at how uh, the Canadians lost uh, earlier on in the knockout rounds. Um, you know, but I think I think there was a distinction. I think you're right. There's one and then one A. And if somebody has a really great day, they can maybe become number one for the day. And it takes definitely some luck and, uh, you know, good fortune to, to win an Olympic gold medal. But I think the way that Kleinman and Ross played, I mean, they, yeah. they didn't make luck too big a player in it. No, look, if I had to pick one team to win, uh, it's them. You know, because again, Duda, she can. She one day she's ruling the world, and one day she's do do. I mean, I, 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 you know, I'm not putting no money on her, but she, but, but acknowledge that she can win. You know, yeah. the Aussies look really good at the end. They survived some high drama in Cancun. They survived two bad calls, and which would make some teams lose. Instead, they won. You know, yeah. and those those conditions that was swirly wind, dude. That was. Oh, I, yeah, I had Kim Shock on a podcast, and he. He was like, that was just gnarly, you know? And I'm like, dude, you look like the only one who looked comfortable. Like he he looked like the only guy that was comfortable. And he played with Theo, with Brunner. And I'm like, wow, everybody else had a miserable time except him and Carambolo, who was like skyball acing elite teams. <laughs> oh, man, let's drive off the cliff a little bit. I want to talk about you as a player. Um just looking at that, just some stats or whatever going on the internet a lot. You um, took a second at Wapaco uh, last year. Was it against? Yeah. Was it against Bill and uh, Miles? Was it Miles yeah, Evans so, and Bill Kalinsky? Right, 2020. Uh, Max and I took second. We lost to Bill and Miles. That's right. Yeah. Did you play in it this year? Uh, yes, we played in it this year. We took fifth. Talk about the mud <laughs> talk about the mud and the blood and the beer <laughs> well uh, i've been playing boat ride for a very long time um and they started the sand i don't know six seven years ago it used to just be a one-day tournament um before avp next gold was a thing um, so there's still good money in it and you'd get lots of good players come down and play um, so I used to play with a Ukrainian guy named Maxim Gladden, and we played in it a couple times, took a third one year, took a fifth, but those, you know, one day double elimination was like 20 something teams. Uh, our semi was happening under the lights late at night. Yeah, um, very much like the Pottstown rumble. Yeah. And then also, you know, July and, and rural Wisconsin is a, it's like a 50, 50 chance of thunderstorms, you know, any given day. So, um, I remember having a, an extreme weather delay at one point, uh, some dude in the campsite actually got hit by lightning. Oh, and, uh, we had like, uh, I was warming up to play. It was actually my old partner against Max Martin and, uh, Danny Rivera. And, uh, get a delay at 2 p.m. We didn't play that match until 8, and they actually moved us indoors to, like, a bar that had some indoor sand there. And uh, the sand there was potentially even worse than, uh, you know, the, the rainy sand at, at Boat Riot. So uh, if you if you come to Boat Riot, there's, you know, it's a great time, tons of drama, lots of great competition, but you also got to prepare for uh, less than ideal conditions. Because, um, yeah, when it rains out there, 
especially on the outer courts, which luckily we didn't have to play on this year. We did last year. Uh, they just turn into rivers. <laughs> you got to dig out trenches so the water will drain. Yep. Um, and then it's just, you know, packed down, super jumpy sand. Uh, yep. And then eventually it starts to dry and you get like a top layer that's real slippery. So you make a big cut, you're going to slide out. So it's, it's a challenging place to play. Uh, especially uh, in a different way, you know, Hermosa, super deep sand, hard to move around. Um, but, you know, with the, the harder court, you got to be more on your game with your uh, with your defense to, to make it, you know, you know, can't get any easy balls. Yeah, like I talked to, I had Kristen Nuss and Taryn on the podcast previous episode. Um, that's actually out today. And they had a decision. Kristen Nuss and them had a conversation, a decision on balls where they're just going to, you know, depending on the level of the match, like fight another play <laughs> or, you know, or, or, you know, because she was literally sinking in the sand and she was worried about like her knee and like, her, you know, twisting her ankle. And like you said, some of the, some of these twitch motions that uh, um, that are that are infinitely different than playing in Hermosa Beach or Manhattan Beach, that deep sand, infinitely different than even playing on the grass, you know, so. And, but of course she couldn't help herself because the like yeah, right. the like yeah. like you the instinctive athletic competitor and you just you just dive and you're like I said I wasn't gonna do that and I did <laughs> yeah um did you and you played in um coconut too this year's right playing coconut yeah, beach down in, uh, New Orleans yeah that was uh, my yeah first beach tournament of the season coming back from uh, playing indoors who'd you play with Max yeah I played with Max yeah I was there. I was I did um um I was doing color commentary on court one and center court, and in fact I called the finals um Marciniak and um Rodriguez against um Evan Corey and Logan Weber so that was my um I guess coming out party um outside of in my my region or whatever it was really fun Sean Ladig big up to him right they found they found a way to pump out they have a pumping system because they had similar problems um a year ago like you guys had it rained. Uh, like you said, sporadically, just it's like Zeus or someone, you know, some god, some pissed off god comes through, you know, leaves yeah. the place a wreck, and, and and they're like, wow, it's sunny outside, but the court looks like this. Why? And, and so, so when you were talking about Wapaka, there's a lot of people, you know, just south of you that can certainly relate to that. And and New York, it could be raining and the sun's out at the same time. So um, as a native New Yorker, and, and I played in the Post Town Rumble too. So, so, um. You took fifth, you said, right? This past year, yeah. Yeah. What tournament gave you a bid for Manhattan Beach? Uh, it was last year's second place finish. Ah, okay. Good. They had to honor that. Yeah. That works. I knew right away that Bill and Miles weren't going to use the bid. Right. They wouldn't play with different partners. And to use a bid, you have to stick with the guy that you win it with. Mm -hmm. And then, so, uh, you know, they have the points on their own. Uh, yeah i mean i would call them hitmen for hire but i can't really say that if i'm thinking of tim Baumgren as like a whole different level of hitmen for hire so I'm, i was trying to figure out another way to describe billion miles but, but right when you yep. think when you think of hired guns man i think of tim Baumgren. just call him up <laughs> sorry go ahead he's ready to play no billy's uh from the milwaukee area so um before i moved out to cali and when i was younger we trained with him a lot play against him in events and so uh especially my partner max has a good relationship with him so he was kind of like in his ear like hey uh don't take that bit <laughs> because then we can get 
Um, no doubt. I, I don't think it was ever a question. I mean, so that was, we kind of knew right from the start, and then we're just waiting for the AVP to give us the official, like, the yeah, nod. Yeah. Which well, didn't happen until like three weeks ago, you know? Yeah, I mean, look, I think for Manhattan Beach, first of all, they were trying to find out how many slots they were going to offer, how many teams mm-hmm. they were going to have in the draw. Once they made it this year's in the 24, then they're like, okay, we can do five wildcard bids and we can do four, four spots. I actually like the two-day qualifier. Um, uh, if you, know, you weren't in Atlantic City, I like even better um, double elimination qualifier because they found a way to do it in the day. The winner's bracket was two out of three, and contender's bracket was one game of 28. And yeah. no night lights. Every they ran a tight ship. They finished. They finished on time. You don't have to worry about a scoring freeze holding up, holding up games, right? And and it worked. And I hope someday, instead of the two day qualifier, maybe they go to just do a double a double LM qual or or, or both. Um, your thoughts on the two day qualifier that they that they're doing for the tour right now? Yeah, I mean, luckily I'm at a point where I. Uh, with my partner, we don't need to be playing on day one unless uh, everybody and their mother signs up, right? Yeah. So yeah. it was a gnarly, it was a gnarly qualifier too, by the way. Yeah, I mean, basically, especially when you're only taking four teams. Yeah. Uh, like coming up in Chicago or there's this way in Atlanta, um, you know, 16 teams get in automatically, or no, 16 teams total, so 12 only get in automatically. Mm-hmm. That means this original 16 you know the people that are left are some excellent teams and you got to go through them in the qualifier and they got to go through each other so you know i think uh we saw in atlanta there were some people might call them upsets and stuff but that's exactly to your point when you got one match to win or you're out you know that's definitely has some drama i think the two days is uh, I think it helps the teams that do get in, uh, especially if they have a day one buy because it's, you know, one less match, but also with the lower amount of teams automatically and like they're playing tougher competition right from the get go. So when they get into Friday, it's not that gigantic of a step up in competition level. You know, a couple of years ago, you play qualifier, like maybe your first match isn't that tough. Your second match is you know, hit and miss, and then for sure your last two are difficult. But now it's like right from the get-go, you got to beat tough teams to get in. So you were were you referring before to uh, Big Mike and Doc? Uh, them also like you see Bogue and Brewster having issues getting out of the qualifiers. Um, you know, there's I think you saw in Atlanta an epic match between. Evan Corey, Logan Weber against uh, Partain and Dros to get in, Jesus, get right? In, Both right? very deserving. Yep. Yeah, I mean you. Uh, so I think you know there, there are upsets all over the place that happen. Um, you know, in terms of ranking points, but it's because there's such parity and quality so far. You know, throughout the men's side, and when you put some of those top main draw teams, push them out because there's fewer auto bids. Um, and the people have more rest and fewer matches now that there's a two-day qualifier i think it's uh you know beneficial for some of the underdogs to get in yeah i mean if you look at manhattan beach alone like i was coaching jeff samuels and kyle ratty right we are uh but you know they had points already for phase two or day two or whatever 
Um, Berkey and Schwangle should have been an easier match for us because stylistically we're supposed to beat the shit out of that team. But um, Ratty, you know, just off the construction site <laughs> and into the deep sand. Uh, first game went the way we, we thought, but then second game, like sustainability was a problem. But then I'll give you another example. The second round was Sean Cook and David Lee. That's a qualifier right. match. Samuels and, and, and Ratty against Sean Cook and David Lee. Uh, and by the way, the third round, they're playing Hagen Smith and Robbie Page. That right. and that's that eighteen bracket, those three teams that I just mentioned, that's a gnarly qualifier. <laughs> Across the board, pretty much. Right? Yeah. Yeah. There was there was probably one something one bracket we consider a beer bracket, but but two of the brackets were really strong like that. Um Atlantic City, like I said, double elimination qualifier it was good to see some of these teams who who who, you know, missed a step have a second chance to play in. And I thought that was good. And I thought that was that was ideal. That's that's how they got their eight spots. The top four were winners who only had to play two matches, and then the next four I think were like like a contenders bracket people that I think they had to win four, or or, or play four rounds but, to get in. Yeah. Right, but one game of twenty eight. So. Yeah, one game of twenty eight. Boom. You know, and I really like that because look, Hagen Smith and Robbie Page qualify all the way to the semifinals. You know, subsequently lost to. Um, Andy Banesh and Billy Allen, and the tournament was won by um, Theo Brunner and and um, Came Shock. 100K purse, man. People are traveling, right? Betsy Flynn, Emily Day came out. All of them came out. So, yeah, when I was mentioning Mike, Big Mike, and Doc, is because in Atlanta, right? They're they're the they were the 16 seed that beat the one, yeah, right? Run. Someone, like, I actually posted on my social media. Someone checked the forecast and hell, it just froze over. <laughs> one of Big Mike's uh, um, better games, Doc Vandermeer, of definitely the biggest winner of his career. So, um, and all of these people like within your age group, just just learning from each other, just self-correcting. So that's why I was when I saw you, when I saw you at, at um, on center court. I'm like, look at this guy minding his own business. I definitely want him on the podcast. <laughs> this guy, he's not bothering anybody. Let me, let me go, let me go ask him. <laughs> so, getting back to you and Max playing in Manhattan Beach, I actually have a highlight. I'm going to show our audience or whatever. I'd like you to do two things for me. One, I'd like you to tell me as we show some of these highlights. Give me one thing you thought your partner did well um, in those in in this tournament. You, I mean, you played winner's bracket. Okay, you lost contender's bracket, but you're there. You're showing up to play two, two high-quality teams. Um, mm-hmm. Give me one thing that you thought your partner did well uh, on that, in, that, in that series. Yeah, well, I think uh, I'm going to give you two things because <laughs> uh, he deserves it. One, I think one of the best things about playing with Max is he's a very even-keeled kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, our personalities mesh pretty well. He's able to take you know, the highs and the lows and, and put it all into focus on the next points. You know, he's, um, he's not going to get super upset at me. I don't need to get super upset at him. Um, so it's a, it's an easy relationship, right? Uh, particular to his playing, especially at Manhattan Beach, I thought he blocked really well. I mean, he's a big guy, but he's been working on his technique a lot, a lot of pressing cross, reaching outside the body line, throwing moves up there. I thought he, uh, I don't know how many blocks he had, but it was uh, a significant amount in the first match. And he had a few good ones as well in, the, in our second match. So I thought that was, uh, you know. Yeah, was he an indoor player? D- did he bring that tech, like a lot of, a lot of, please, sorry. Yeah, he played indoor at MSOE. 
I don't really know too much about his indoor career. Um, separate trajectory than Milan, right? Um, he was an opposite there. I think uh, he's always been big, but I think in the past like two years, he's really improved a lot of his technique work. Uh, so that's allowed him to be use his height and his athleticism much more effectively. Yeah, because for me personally, for as an indoor player who trans, who played a ton of grass and transcended to the beach a little bit late in the house, the two things that that were easy for me was the block because East Coast, I, I I was able to split block out here. Forget it, at six one, um, the block was very easy because because now I I have this court freedom where I don't have to worry about accountability of filling the hole because in my system when I played in Germany it wasn't the middle that filled the hole it's the outsides that did you know. Um, and the second thing was first first hit. I'm an indoor setter, but like it, I'm I'm like wow, it doesn't have to be this pass to the target where we have to run a play. <laughs> it just has to be high enough where where my my setter can use his hands, has some kind of peripheral vision or option. So those are the two easiest things that translated from indoor to the beach for me. Give me one or two things that trans uh, that were easy for you um, that that came naturally to you from indoor to the beach. Yeah, as an outside uh, hitter, I would I would assume serve receive. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I actually started playing grass volleyball before I played any indoor. Uh, oh. As, along with, like, doing some beach stuff. So they've kind of, all three of them have been right there for me the whole time. Uh, I definitely, when I go from indoor into the sand, I mean, obviously the movement in the sand is a hard part and, like, timing on your approach. But I definitely feel like my ability to dig a hard driven ball or yeah, service you. I feel pretty locked in. The the velocity in indoor is significantly higher yeah. than in the beat in general, right? So, yeah, the battle's won at the net. Cause some of those things twitch reaction wise, you have to do something that makes someone hit a less faster ball at a less at a less comfortable <laughs> velocity. <laughs> so that's the easy part from you know is the, Yeah. What about the hard part? Yeah, definitely the movement. Uh, you know, in indoor, I take a huge approach, broad jump. You know, get up really high, bring a lot of forward momentum through the ball, and that's just not something you can do consistently in the sand, especially the deeper it gets. Um, so just getting the timing and the spacing down is, is probably the, the hardest transition point, and also just building up your your stamina. I mean, playing indoor is physically difficult, but in a different way. I mean, you have to have the impact built into your joints, that sturdiness. Um, but then on the sand, you kind of, you know, it's not as tough on your joints, although it still wears you down if you're no, not no doubt. Good Lord. But just having like the endurance to, and the cardio to last through a match, and also like the core strength to be always kind of off balance and having to correct as you're having shifting sand on your feet. Those are two like elements that take a while to get back. You know, just, just got to get out there and play. Yeah. And as a sidebar, you mentioned something before about um, Max Martin. There's nothing in the world like having a partner where you don't have to deal with your partner. You know, yeah. like Jeff's, I'm Jeff Samuel. I, I coach Jeff Samuels. That's a very strong personality. He'll be the first to tell you. Rob McLean, a little bit of a man child, but, 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 you know, very fun to coach or whatever and this and that. So you came in Manhattan Beach on an arm in on that. So we were talking about one or two things you thought Max did well 
um, in Manhattan Beach. Can you give me one thing that you would like to do better coming off of Manhattan Beach, coming into whatever whatever next evolution you're going to be in? Uh, yeah, I mean, me personally, I would like to hit a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, just more efficiency, I think. And then, especially in transition, I mean, we're getting a handful of opportunities and we need to make sure we're converting. Yeah. We, I, yeah. Uh, Sorry. Yeah, if we can play with just a little bit higher clip converting points and a little bit lower error rate, then I think we win some of those matches. Well, your side out ability on the beach is really good. I, I, you didn't get, I mean, just I had two small sample sizes. I watched both your matches in Manhattan Beach and, and got to watch a little bit before that. Um, you didn't get served a lot. Um, and when you did, I thought your side out efficiency was really, really good. Your first ball side out, first ball side out. First of all, was in system, which if you're, if you're a professional like you like you are, um, in system, first ball side out should be, it should it should be the highest percentage. Um, and you're right. When you were getting digs, you you I guess maybe you maybe you just want to hold your platform a little bit. Maybe the ball, will, you know, have some hang time where the setter can give you something you could transition out and this and that. Um, some players yeah, quality dig yeah it's better ball control that put us mm-hmm. in a more advantageous position to score definitely yeah some players for some reason to be more accurate they get lower with their dig instead of higher you know I see a name like Tomas I assume you're like Polish I, I assume everything is high <laughs> I'm probably wrong about all those things but <laughs> but I'm like his name is Tomas man he's probably he should be skyballing that dig <laughs> yeah good luck setting it though right um, before we get into Volley Life, you're the uh, um, you're the you're the um, founder of Volley Life, president of Volley Life. What's going on with that? Uh, owner and founder. <laughs> nice. So before we go to that, I want to ask you a fun question that I don't actually ask a lot of my guests. I'm, this is episode 107. I've I've only asked a handful of guests this. What got you into volleyball? What? Why volleyball? Yeah. Um, I mean, I played a lot of sports growing up: soccer, tennis kickball you know like whatever was there uh i loved running racing but both my parents played ball so as early as i can remember i was down at the park peppering go to tournaments find anybody who was sitting hey you want pepper um you know so this is kind of i grew up with it my first sport that i really like started i guess training you know as a kid you know going and taking lessons and being on a team was tennis and uh, I really enjoyed that as well but I felt um, I don't know you know I started playing volleyball when I was like maybe five and a half feet tall something like that in a in like a club setting and so I had some skills from growing up with it but I hadn't I didn't have the height and not all of the athleticism yet and so it was uh, like a a challenge that I just enjoyed working and uh, over time I enjoyed it more than tennis and eventually just went there, went that route. Um, I think also by the time I was going into college, I had more experience, you know, they say 10,000 hours to, you know, master your craft. I, by that point, I, I put in more time into volleyball than tennis, so I thought I had a, a better future going that route. Okay. And, uh, since I made that choice, it's been primarily volleyball, and then I do all the. I stop competing in all the other sports. I just use those as chances to have fun. Yeah. Rather. There and there job. is and there is like, I mean, 
indoors, indoor volleyball notwithstanding, there is uh, uh, an element of more total control of having the fate being decided in your hands for doubles. I mean, tennis, of course, singularly, right? It's, sing- it's singularly in yeah. your hands, as, as is golf and, and any other combat sport we can mention. Um, so I don't know if control has a lot to do with it because I had Sharif on the podcast, and he, he just liked the freedom of, of doubles, of just touching the ball more, this, this yeah. less stressful atmosphere. Um, sorry, go ahead. Well... I mean, I like all forms of volleyball, and one of the ways that I can keep that love fresh and my passion and motivation is uh, is by switching formats once in a while. If I keep doing all beach, all beach, all the time, year round, like I'll get that itch to go play a little sixes. And then, of course, like the next day, I'm like, damn, why'd I do that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, in, in general, like I think the variety has helped my game as well as uh, just to help me have some longevity in the sport and avoid burning out. Is that more about you being a product of your environment? Like in Milwaukee, do, is that what a lot of people in Milwaukee do? They they, they play a lot of grass and, and beach, and some of them use it to cross-train for indoor. An example, I'm, I'm, I'm a New Yorker, um, Central Park Beach. Um, I was setting for a club team, Bob Meso and some of the other teams back then. And I always use beach to help me improve my defense, my digging. Uh, my blocking, because I just came back into a more aggressive, and my serve to space, um, serve like serve location, and be and be able to jump serve and punch it through. So, w- is it something in your in your setting in Milwaukee or, or, where, or wherever you live or what have you, um, Kenosha maybe? Um, is it within your environment that that leads you that way, where you get you get your indoor on, you get your outdoor on, you get your indoor on, you get your outdoor on? Sorry, I lost your sound. I lost your sound. Um, there it is. It's okay. back. Great. Um, yeah, I mean, there was definitely like a bit more of a beach scene maybe 10-ish years ago than there is now. Um, that's part of why I started Volley Life is to try and build that up. Um, so... I think most of my peers are using the beach as what you said, as an opportunity to keep their skills fresh, maybe improve some aspects of their game, get touches on the ball in the off season, primarily for indoor. Mm -hmm. Uh, In Wisconsin, grass is definitely more popular than beach. Um, So some people are even using the, uh, the indoor and the beach as ways to train for the grass. Right. Um, for me, though, I am driven just by com- competition. You know, I want to win, and I want to win at the highest possible level that I can. And, uh, you know, I played college club, and we didn't quite win a national championship, but we had a, a lot of success and won a handful of really big events. Um, recently played professionally in Europe and won our league there. And won national, adult nationals a handful of times, won the NBA with Pineapple. Um, and this is, you know, these are times that I can, it's not just like sitting on the bench and observing, like I'm putting in the work and, and making my way out of the court. And uh, here locally, I mean, I've won a handful of, you know, more than a handful of grass tournaments that I played in. Um, it probably, <laughs> 
lose less money traveling if I uh, stayed local, right? But, uh, you know, I want to go out there and test myself and, and win at the highest level. And for me right now, that's the AVP Tour. And uh, so I've been putting in the work on the sand to try to make that happen. And so I'm enjoying the, the progress. I'm enjoying the grind. And, uh, you know, of course, you get to be out on the beach in the, in the sun. So there's a lot of... I'm not really looking to go back to indoor and use it as a, you know, I'm not using I, sorry, I lost your volume again. <clears throat> Hoping it comes back. It just, it's back. <laughs> it's back. Okay. He's alive. <laughs> no, well, I agree with you in a sense that I gave you three things that helped uh, on the beach that helped me improve indoor. I'll give you three things that don't do shit for me for indoor. On uh, one, serve receive, beach serve receive on the beach doesn't help. Didn't help me as an indoor passer. I was a setter anyway, but but a pass to a general area as opposed to a, a timed pass to a specific target where you have to run plays are different. Um, didn't improve my setting. As an indoor setter, I'm not trying to deep dish my middle hitters. I mean, the outsides, of course, your four-step approach or your three, your left, right, left, it's plenty of time to make that adjustment off a dish, but it throws, it severely, it nastily throws off the time of your middles, right? Yeah. Um, hitting, that's self-explanatory. One block, one dig versus two blockers and four digs. I mean, it's, you know, you know, you have to, you have to use power, right? Where, where beach, you use your power to set up your shot. So, so the, the, Three things that help. Three out of the six fundamentals, <laughs> I think three. Uh, cut down the middle. I think three things help me for indoor. A defense, mostly mostly defensively. I consider serving defense for some reason because I'm an idiot from Brooklyn. Um, and the offense, not so much. So, um, did you play Potsdam? Uh, I did not go this year. Yeah. Uh, I played in it for the first time in 2019. Mm -hmm. I actually, played with Yasmin Call from Toronto. Okay. So it was a fun team. Uh, we lost in the quarterfinals. I think, so took yeah. That's as far as I could go. I played 2002 and 2003. One AA, one Open, and, you yeah. know. We were feeling, uh, I, I thought we had a good chance of winning, man. We were, we were rolling, but yeah. uh, maybe we just ran out of steam a little bit. I think the people that play in that tournament um, on the national scene should command more respect. You're playing big court. Right, you're playing side out, and and you want to talk about Wisconsin, like that first week of July. I give you, I give you Allentown and Pottstown, Pennsylvania, the last week of June. That place, oh, humidity-wise, is brutal. So big court, side out, two days, daylights, nightlights. Um, had Fornicari on the podcast. We both agreed it's the most grueling tournament and possibly the sport of volleyball and <laughs> all of volleyball. Right? I mean, and. It's weird because in the West Coast, there's this whole validation game. There's like, oh, I, I want to get my triple. Oh, I, I made the main draw in the AVP. Oh, that guy didn't make the draw. He must not be that good. And I'm like, you fuckers have no, excuse my language. I'm like, you guys, you guys have no, no idea and you have no respect, right? Take, take a trip to Pottstown. See how that works for you, right? I mean, think about it. Beloff and, and um, who did he play with? Lucas? They had to pour through some some like Baumgren's an AVP finalist. They had to beat Tim and, and, and Brian to get to the final. So it's, it is the ultimate proving ground. 
it is slippery indoor. <laughs> okay, it is slippery indoor. So, so this is the main question I wanted to set up, but I think I took too long to set to do this, and for that I'm sorry. Let's talk about what volley life is. Max Tom, Tomas Goldsmith, what is volley life? Uh, volley life is a beach volleyball services company. So we provide league management, we run tournaments, we do camps, we do group lesson, private lesson, adult clinics. Um, but primarily we're, you know, community building company. We want to create and nurture and improve the beach volleyball scene in the Midwest. So uh, we're blessed here in Milwaukee to have uh, Bradford Beach as our flagship beach location. Uh, of course, it's not Hermosa or, you know, the Strand, but uh, we've got like, you know, a few thousand uh, square feet on it. And we've got, uh, this year we put 28 courts up and we fill those courts. I mean, we have uh, Sunday through Thursday, we fill them up with adult rec leagues. Uh, we've run tournaments with, you know, dozens of teams. And then we also, you know, try to build the scene by hosting events. Um, so potentially there'll be a, maybe an AVP event in the horizon or uh, at least an AVP Next Gold event down the line. Uh, we've had the NBL there in the past. AVP used to come by. Um, those are before I started Volley Life, but I was involved uh, with bringing the NBL there and also with the USAB Junior Beach Tour Championships. So, you know, it's, uh, I started it with a friend back in 2017 when we thought that the peace community was being underserved by the current people running that stuff. And we thought there was, a, you know, an opportunity for us to step in. People were passionate. People had, you know, some expertise and vision. And uh, Volley Life is uh, the work in progress to making Milwaukee kind of a, a national you know, conversation piece. When, when you think of beach volleyball, you think of California and maybe Florida, and I want to have Milwaukee be the Midwest location. Well, you do, you guys definitely have the competition out there. I mean, and, and competitive people. It's just, there's just too many people to, to mention that in all phases of volleyball, albeit indoor, albeit beach, and grass that that come out of Wisconsin. That, that, that's either just thirty big coincidences, or you guys are doing something right out there. So, but um, yeah. But look, I I was gonna do like a top five video, top the top five things that are good for the sport of volleyball. And one of the things you mentioned were like, I don't know if they're calling it AVP next. I don't know if they're calling a volley volley America. I like volleyball America, uh, um, AVP America better than next because next is supposed to be like this this kind of upstart thing and now the up there's i mean the upstarts are winning tournament are, are winning on the tour <laughs> okay so right bill bill kalinsky and eric baranek from like the, the contenders bracket made the finals kristen nuss taryn cloth don't even get me started that's a whole nother podcast in fact that was last podcast with them um nvl and that's that's the reason why i brought up volleyball um, um avp america I, I think the reason why it's working is because it has an NVL style setup. You have these uber competitive players, but the set the the scenery is intimate. 
You know what I'm saying? Nobody's talking up all the way up here like an asshole from up here to down there. You got great players like Bill Kalinske. You got players that travel on players. Mid, I could just name names like Chris Frazier, one of the nicest guys you ever met from the East Coast. Maybe not not popular here. Um, guys coming in West. John Moran, longtime NVLer. Uh, my first NVL, I actually saw him from the qualifier, make it all the way to the finals, lose to Zahn and Palm. Uh, um, so that I actually call that match. Actually, I call center court. So, besides the sand wannabes, that's one of like one of the best things to happen to to beach volleyball in the United in the United States. So, I, I really, really hope you guys continue to do some work out there because my my people, I call them my people, has said you you basically gave Bradford beach mouth to mouth just and saved it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And now it's. It's it's almost got legs of its own, you know. It's almost got legs of its own. So um, um so hats off, see my afro. Hats off, hats off to you on that. Show off my yeah. little, show off my uh, little Jufro. My, mm. I mean, one of the favorite things about the business for me is like I put in a lot of work throughout the day, um, but then I go down to the beach and I can be kind of anonymous. Uh, I have great employees who do a lot of the day-to-day operations down at the beach. Um, and that helps me you know, work on other aspects of the business. But uh, when I go down there, I, I can take a lot of uh, pride and, and joy from seeing 28 courts being used and people having a great time. And I can just walk through and you know people don't know who I am. And uh, I like that because it gives me uh, yeah, like I, I helped build this thing, but it has a life of its own, and hopefully it gets to a point where, um, you know, somebody else down the line can can take over for me and, and and continue. You know, I think a community is not. You have to have strong leaders, but you want to have passion and interaction between the members of the community, and so that's what we're trying to build. And when I can step out of that picture and and it can be successful without me, then feel like I would have done a good job yeah well for you I think the more inconspicuous you remain the, the more close you you remain to the people as far as people giving you feedback or critique or things that went well like if you if you're having a conversation with someone they don't even know who you are they're going to be more it's going to come from a more honest place, you know, <laughs> I mean, or a more organic place. I'm not saying they're going to be a completely different person because they think you're someone else. Right. Um, no, nah, that's that's like John Mayer. I worked with John Mayer at LMU. I was his assistant at, um, for their women's beach team in 2018. He could be standing right next to you <laughs> in Wapak <laughs> and you won't even know it's him unless, you know, what I'm saying unless he's he's geared up in his LMU stuff, you know, and this and that. So. But I, I, I like that kind of that kind of personality. I like I like the I like the humility, humility, and I and I also like that you um, know your limitations and how far you can take it as an individual. But but this sport, Tomas, won't won't get better um, unless there's that that kind of inclusivity. Where because one Brecht, I'm a big Brecht fan. I'm, um, and we're gonna talk. I was going to talk about music and theater, but my BFA is in acting or whatever. So it's, it's, that's another rarity besides, besides me, you, and Nolan Albrecht, right? Who else is there? Um, Brecht always believed that no one person can do it, but one person can stir the pot, and collectively we all can. And that's where I think, that's again, that's why I think you're doing a, a fantastic job out there. 
you know. Um, let's talk about your major. What, what do you? Wait, 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 wait. Let me just ask like a like a schmuck from Brooklyn. Uh, do you play an instrument? I do. Yeah, uh, play a few. Saxophone is uh, my primary. Okay. Center. And then I also play clarinet, flute, and I've been doing uh, as much piano and singing as I can. Um, I kind of started later in college. But what was your what was your major in college? Was it musical theater or was it you know, music? Um, I did two majors. Uh, one was a jazz studies major with a focus on tenor saxophone, mm -hmm. and the second was a multiple woodwind performance major, so sax, clarinet, and flute. Yeah. I, there are levels to this, but I played clarinet for two years. Um, I played piano for three, and I played viola for a year and a half. So I've, I've definitely gotten my hands on some instruments. Again, citing as a pretext, there are levels to this. There's, there, you know, there's a kid from Brooklyn who may may or may not want to play an instrument, and then there's there's what you have done or, or are continuing to do. So I just I just wanted to get a little fun fact about you in this podcast. Yeah. So well. Um, I was thinking in high school, uh, you know, what should I go to college for? And I was like, well, the two things I like doing most are playing volleyball and playing music. So uh, let's see how I can make that into a career. And so far, it's been, uh, you know, it's had its moments of struggle, but overall, it's, it's been very rewarding. I've met a lot of great people and on both sides and had a lot of great chances to do, you know, fun and exciting things. I'd like to have fun with you next year. I'd like to go to like a piano bar or something <clears throat> like look every last week of june i'm in wisconsin anyway i'm a uh, fish creek door county my, okay, yeah. my my family has a house out there and that's that's two and a half three hour drive from oshkosh or milwaukee what have you but i'm not too lazy to push a steering wheel i mean i could drive to vegas right uh, um and i always end up leaving two days before wapaka Sometimes I'm there to train some people, you know, like some like some, some of my friends, Torin Jeffries, Daniel Newman, they played in Wapaka. Um, my friends, uh, Ellis Palomino and Zacharias, the guy that was setting him, uh, him and Hillman. Zach is a longtime friend of mine. I'm, I'm, I've known him since JFK High School in the Bronx, New York. So, again, small world. But one year, maybe next year, when all this, when the world doesn't, when we hope the world doesn't, have, doesn't go to hell again with COVID and all that stuff, um, just I'll just stay an extra week, man. Maybe me, you, and Nolan will do something. Nolan is musical theater. Nolan can sing. Nolan uh, came to Manhattan Beach. We sang karaoke at OB's on Monday night, and the guy sang "Stand by Me." He's um, he I uh, he ain't me. Okay, there's levels to that. <laughs> no, but he's <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm messing with him and you, but um, he's really really good. He's really really good. Greg Faulkner, how's that for mutual friends? Oh, like yeah. you play for Pineapple. Greg and I sing twice a week. Yeah, that's that's um Greg is my brother from another mother. We tonight we're going to OB's Thursday night. There's a place called Tower Twelve, Hermosa Beach, and that is our escapism that allows us to do our job like mammals. And the reason why I'm talking about myself, I, I was spinning the question, Kanye West style, back to you. N n since this whole volleyball was an escapism, it was fun, and when it became your career, um. What do you do for escapism that allows you to come back yeah. and do your job like a man, a mammal, walk on two legs and drink uh, water? <clears throat> yes, yeah, that answer has been especially challenged by the pandemic, right? I mean, I used to really enjoy having people over, hanging out, um, traveling. Those are the things that I did, um, but you know. 
I'm incredibly grateful for my wife. I think she's a phenomenal person to spend time with. So usually uh, from early May to mid-September, I'm most likely gone traveling and playing some volleyball events. So when I get a chance to be home, I really enjoy spending that time with her. There's always uh, a good woman, huh? There's always a good woman behind it, isn't there? Isn't that great? Sorry, uh, go ahead. She's got her own, her own thing, right? Um, <laughs> yep. But yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy going out to eat with her. I enjoy, uh, you know, taking advantage of what's what Milwaukee has to offer culturally. Uh, and we enjoy traveling, um, looking, you know, I think uh, it, was, it was unfortunate with COVID. She couldn't come visit me in Denmark, but we're going to get a nice vacation uh, down in Florida for the Clearwater event. Where, where in Denmark was the um, was your home team, your, your volleyball team? Uh, we were in a, basically in Copenhagen. We had a sub. We were in a suburb of Copenhagen uh, no. called Pafta. I've been there. I was um I'm a Gulf War vet. I was in the army, so I was stationed in Germany, and we went to Switzerland. We went to Italy. We went. To, I went to Barcelona for the Olympics. Oh, and that's yeah. nice. And one of my favorite um, pianists is from Copenhagen. Um, Victor Borga. They call him the Great Dane. He's a musical comedian. He would take some of his songs, some of these classic songs like Brahms or like Moonlight Sonata, and spin it into Happy Birthday, like yeah. somewhere near. What's that? I'll have to check him out. Yeah, Victor mm -hmm. Borga. And I got to see him, too, at Carnegie Hall um, before he... Um, he died at 91 years old. He lived a long, healthy life. He, um, I guess for the audience listening, I'll, I'll finish up with finish up on him. He um, was blacklisted by Adolf Hitler and, and got on the, the boat, the USS Legion. Um, it was the last boat out of um, Denmark before the, the, Germans, the Germans came in. But yeah. he was he was blacklisted because he did a lot of comedy skits about Hitler and this and that. And they're like, okay, this this guy thinks he has free speech. He got to die. So, immigrated to America, um, and then found the way to do what he does best: take his classical style and find a comedic form, some, a satirical form um, that had ridicule, irony, you know, just classic satire. Great musical comedian. It's B O R G E. Victor Borg, Borga, a Borge. Um, they call him the Great Dane. So. Um, so, um, Clearwater, that's Halloween, right? Are you going to plan that? Yeah, Halloween. yeah I'm, uh, I'm going to go down with uh, my wife and her parents and uh, play the event and then have a little vacation after. I might come. I might come. They're, 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 I'm trying to talk to someone about um, color commentary or whatever and this and that. I might go to that. And, and just like you, man, I got friends in low places like um dave palm he's a good friend of mine he lives uh, you know he i don't know if he lives in clearwater but but um i've made enough certainly no, enough friends everywhere you know including wisconsin <laughs> tomas um people want to know more about volley life is there a particular site um uh, uh, yeah, uh, people want to know more about you or or volley life tell us uh, we've got a website it's uh volley-life.com and uh, we we're working on a social media aspect. It's not something I'm like super excited about doing, but I'm um, looking for the right person to bring on board and they're gonna blow it up. It's, uh, we've got definitely some good content to share and stories to tell. But right now it's all on, uh, on the website, volley-life.com. Yeah. Let me tell you something. COVID did make volleyball players professionals or other things. We like, 
the person I tech, I'm taking my own show today because my, my person still has not come back from COVID or whatever. And I didn't know any. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm this is a four camera switcher. <laughs> what? What's an Atomos Ninja Flame recording hardware? I don't know what the hell it is. I mean, it's like, congratulations, you're an Avenger. You know, <laughs> it's like, boom, you, you have to know these things. So, um, Tomas, that's all I got. That's all I got for you. Um, um, what's your Insta handle? Just in case. At Tomas.Goldsman. All right, cool. Well, once again, that's all I got. And ladies and gentlemen, this man, Tomas Goldsmith, might love you, but I do not love you. In fact, I can't stand you. In fact, we're out of here, okay? So for all of you at home, for all of you on your iPad, for all of you on your desktop, for all of you on your droid, for Tomas Goldsmith, this is episode one. Oh, seven. Can you believe it? Of the Option Podcast. I'm Jason DeBea. Stay with me for a couple of seconds. We're out. Come check out the Option Podcast on OptionDB.com. It's also available on iTunes and Spotify and on YouTube under the NY Varsity Sports Handle. You're going to love what you hear.